hey, you know where you are? You're in the Grotto Pod. It's not that hot. Did actually. you think you'd end up in the Grotto Pod today? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you have no video, but BQ just flipped me off, and I'm not sure why, because I'm welcoming her and you to the Grotto Pod. You're in the Grotto Pod. I'm in the Grotto Pod. Today in the as-yet-unsuperheated Grotto Pod, which is fantastic because you may not have realized this, but I walked here today oh. in this dark reddish shirt, uh-huh. and when I got here, it was soaked through with sweat. That oh. is why I was wearing a jacket during oh. our meeting. and now it's dried sweat? Yeah, it's dry, it but at least good. it's not colored. You know, it's, the same, it's all the same color now. I always not exhort you to yeah. wear layers and you, I am I that's the scary part layers, but then you don't strip down to layers that's right, the point of right, layers right that's right right say layers again layers layer l-a-i-r-s <laughs> you, so you're telling I should wear like a hideout for a criminal right I don't know I have no idea where my pronunciation of anything comes from what you, is my we accent? talked about this on the uh, two, uh, two episodes the Irving the I know it now legendary off. Irving Ruan Ron Ruan did you ever find out how to say his name nope which is too bad because what a nice guy. He's Boy, so nice and nice so kid. funny. Oh, my God. I love him on Twitter. Yeah, he was fantastic. We shouldn't talk about another guest when we're supposed fantastic. to be introducing hey, Celeste Hey, who's on the, uh, on the old grotto pod today? Celeste Chan. Celeste Chan. Uh, let's uh, give me a little background on Celeste Chan. Celeste Chan is one of our guests. We've had guests like this before who, who they, you know, it's funny, but even I her. Is your word. Yeah, and I, but I, I think I read an interview with her where it was a, she was referred to as a hybrid. Oh, a hybrid artist. I wonder. Does she? Uh, Which means when she doesn't use gasoline when she's idolizing. I was going to say. Yeah. I wonder if one she's likes that. Quietly or sits there. I think um, more and more being a hybrid is a sign of just kind of power. Power. Like you can pivot and do this. Pivot and do this. Well, I think more and more. You know, and you know, maybe we can get into this with so her. many platforms. So many platforms, but platforms by choice and by necessity. Because yeah. let's face it. As we have discussed, you know, the, the, the revenue stream isn't necessarily going to come from the writing. No, because has everyone seen that article? What was it? In, oh, what was boy. It, in, it was uh, in the New York Times, wasn't it? New York it? Times, but it was being shared all over Twitter oh, about boy. the average pay of full-time writers in the United 20, States. 20000 20000 Average pay of uh, YA a novel is 10000 why would that be lower? I would think. It'd I know. Be I was higher. kind of surprised. Oh, because it because they're including journalists. journalists and freelance okay. writers. And uh, you saw the thing I sent you after, or commented with uh, Cookie Monster, right? Getting a job as a journalist demanded. He demanded all these things. They said, "We'll give you a cookie." Like okay, <laughs> me take cookie. Yeah. Okay, because what I need to insert here is that if YA novelists are making ten thousand a year, then literary novelists are making less. I'm glad you didn't say real novelists. I would have been. That would have hurt my feelings. Oh, I don't think that even. Because I'm trying to be a, a YA novelist. I think YA know. is fantastic. I think all writing is fantastic. My son was looking for a writing class to sign up for yesterday. Sure. And all the poetry classes were closed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then late at night, I didn't see until this morning, he texted me and said, um, oh, I was able to get into this class, creative nonfiction. Oh, that's a class changed my life. Yeah, that's what I write. I have for... Yeah, exactly. And you said, so did I you smack him via like, the yeah, phone? that's writing. And... Maybe you'd like to read your mother sometime. Oh, no. no did not no, respond to no. my text. No one in no. my family reads my work. Nobody's whatever reads my work, but they do listen to my podcasts. I my know parents. That's good or bad. I know. My parents were very, uh, I would oh, say, rabid so listeners nice. of my other podcast, the Is It Good for the Jews podcast. Mm-hmm. By the way, we recorded episode 200 last oh, gosh, night. That's incredible. To be posted uh, as soon as I'm done here. Great. Um, let's talk about Celeste Chan, though. She, here's all the stuff she does. She actually. Um, Artist, writer, educator, organizer, 
I mean, she's doing it all. Ten years as the co-director of Queer Rebels, a queer and trans people of color arts project. Which I really want to hear about. First of all, ten years. You know how long and hard it was to do 200 episodes of, of a of, podcast. And 100 ten of this one, yeah. years. She's not that old, either. She's not that old. Um, and I want to talk about it a little, because I'm not sure what that uh, exactly is. Is it a filmmaking consortium? Is it stage shows? I think it was all of the I above. Think it's, I think it's a, a hybrid She has received residencies and fellowships from Lambda Literary Retreat, Vona, Hedgebrook, Hypatia, Soaring Garden, Safe House, and more. I'm actually reading her bio right now. Can yeah. you tell? Lambda Literary Retreat deal, and Fona right? are big deals. Yeah, and Hedbrook. I mean, I have known so many amazing writers that have gone to those. I've been part of those. Super cool. Celeste is all over the place. She's also very stylish. I know. She's so... I know. I shouldn't talk about people feel the way I write. You're not supposed to do that. But she dresses so cute. I love she it. She does. <laughs> um, and, but I also want to get into just this idea of you know building a career out of specific interests and what came first, you know, I'm hoping to get to that. And if you pick up your pen, sorry. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, you know what I'm realizing too, as I sit here uh, looking across the desk at you is we're missing a chair. I know <clears throat> someone moved the chair. I won't call it. What always makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the chair I will find, you know, NPR is going to cancel us. Yeah. Because we're not up to NPR standards. Um, I do want to say, though, that the uh, what I believe she's working on right now is a documentary um, called Art, Artists of a Riot. And it's about, quote unquote, children of Riot Girl and Queer Corps. Oh, and Riot I'm really Girl. interested in that because I was you were Riot I considered Girl? myself part of Riot Girl of my own agenda. Not like in Olympia, Washington, but mm. super interested in that history, super interested in that movement. So I want to talk about that a little bit, if that won't bug you. I'll, I'll just I'll leave. Okay, I'm kidding. Perfect. I you know I'm adjacent. I'm right, girl adjacent because I was I in know, Seattle totally. at the time. You were totally there. But you know it's it sort of was a little after my peak as far as it was after as a useful member of that world. Oh, okay. I was already kind of it's, see. I was in New York by then, so I wasn't where in Ground Zero. And actually, I tried to write for some Riot Girl zines. I know that sounds funny. I tried to write for them, but I just wanted to, to contribute stuff. And kind of by that time, they were just overwhelmed with people. Right. Well, you know, at Riot them. Girl. Ethos would say, you know, why are you writing for us? Start I your know. Own. I should have done Start that. Your well, own. I did in some sense. I was a, an actual member of the music media up there at the time in Washington the State. Devil, maybe. Well, clearly, but in more ways than one. But I, uh, so my relationship with music and, and those kind of scenes at time was as, you know, uh, sort of careerist. Like I was, yeah, 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 I got you. And by the time Riot Girl became the thing to write about, I was already sort of tailing off. I think I was already teaching high school and, you know that um, Kathleen out, Hanna right. is the one who came up with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yes, That's I like do know that. Great Did she, is she the one who actually got in a fist fight with Courtney Love? I, they, I think that's an overblown event. It's Although a legend. Courtney Love was being not pleasant, I think. No, really? Yeah. No way. But I think it's slightly overblown. Yeah. I think there's a thing of like pitting women against each other. Yeah, that could happen. Well, I'm going I'm to work to do that today, actually. Oh, perfect. Kidding. I we do. don't have enough room for that. Um, <laughs> but that's enough about us. But the Hot people, fight. The people ooh, really want to really hear is not us. No, no, no. I'll go get Celeste. Okay, go get her. Okay. Celeste. Hello. Welcome to the friendly confines of the Grotto Pod. <laughs> Her this first time. amazing here. <laughs> you know, it's like being in an egg carton. Well, it is, but I also feel I've come in here alone sometimes because I don't, I don't I, during my Grotto days, I didn't have an office. 
and I still don't have an office, and I will never have an office. So sometimes this is the only place you could come where you knew no one was going to walk behind you and scare you. So coming in here alone and closing a door is it's it's very womb like. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, if you really, if the world's got you down, I mean, because if you you know you think like. Well, they can't get me. Look at me. Look at all this padding. I know. You know? So there's something nice and comforting about. I wouldn't close that door by myself for anything. Really? <laughs> what if you can't? What if something happens and you can't get it open? It lock- oh, it does lock from the outside. I don't know. I guess. Wait, does it lock from the outside? I think. I don't know. It does. Oh. Well, no. Yeah, it does. Actually, there's. Yeah, that does lock. <laughs> but I think we reserve the right to unlock it. All right. But that's enough about me. I so know. last year, much last. Um, so much to talk about, and I need to grab my notes, but I do want to start with, um, you know what, since it's what you lead off with in your bio, let's talk a little bit about your background. What does it mean to be the DI child of Malaysia and the Bronx? DIY. DIY. I was like, DI. Are you from the Bronx? No. Your parents are. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. So my dad is from Malaysia. My dad's Chinese and my mom is from the Bronx. My mom's Jewish. And they met in Berkeley during the 60s. Oh, in Berkeley. Oh, wow. Do tell. So what part of the... The Berkeley story. What, okay. Let me break this down. What part of the 60s? Early, mid, late? Pre-free speech? Are we talking People's Park? Are we talking anti-Vietnam? Are we just talking quietly Mario Savio with a fleece-lined jacket? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know this. <laughs> or, just your, or just your parents. Or maybe time. they were just there. <laughs> well, a combination of they were just there and also free speech and also the anti-Vietnam War protests and also um, Joan Baez. And it was also, her birthday yesterday. It was. Yep. I didn't know that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you raised with a kind of, I don't know, I, want to, I don't want to say hippie because you didn't have to be that to be part of the free speech movement and be anti-Vietnam and yeah, all I that. Think they but were, were pre-hippie. Yeah, so were, were you? But were yeah. you raised with a kind of righteous sense of activism? Because a lot of your work is activist. That's true. Yeah, that's true. A lot of my work is activist. Well, it's interesting. When I asked my dad about it, he was like, "No, I was a halftime hippie." <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> the stoner so part. So hippie with a job. <laughs> that's, actually, that's what he said. Hippie on weekends he, type of deal. Yeah, he was like, "I always had a job," and uh, so oh, I, that's I my wasn't favorite a time hippie. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think that idea—the idea that we have from this vantage point—is kind of overblown of what it was really like back then, because yeah. there probably weren't like, "Hey, there's a hippie, and there's not a hippie." You know, uh, and they were just people doing what they did. I think it's so funny because my dad tells me the story of how they met, which is actually, oh, no. <laughs> Are you afraid I'm going to start crying? Are you getting overclimbed? I just well, love stories like this. Well, I was about to... I was burst my say, bubble. Yeah, I was going to say something pretty unromantic. <laughs> that's, that's how good movies start, right? They yeah. mean some bad way. Okay, so tell me. Yeah, like it, it's all idealistic. It's like, ooh, and it was Berkeley, and it was the '60s, and there was all this activism and young people and and love, and they met at a sit-in. Well, actually, yeah, I'd be romantic. <laughs> they met because I, I think my mom had to go to court for something, and my and my dad was like, "Oh, I'll go with you." <laughs> that's true love, though. Already, that's like, bam, you know, no, that he's the that, one. That's a guy trying to make a good impression. Totally, totally. <laughs> that's a that's a slam dunk right there. So, uh, so there in Berkeley, were you raised in Berkeley? 
No, I actually wasn't. My older sister was raised in Berkeley, so I, w- I was almost born in the Bay Area. Oh, I, I missed out. I could almost be from here. <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> There's so few. I know. There are so few. It's amazing. Yeah. No, my parents lived here during the 60s and, like, left in the mid-70s. So That was probably a good time to leave, actually. Oh. So where did you grow up? So I was I was born in Virginia, but I grew up in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, so that, and we're bringing it around. Did you hear us talk about Riot Girl? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I want to I hear about so that a little bit, but are we there? going too far? Yeah, were you part were of you the... Were Riot Girl? Ooh. <laughs> the But you may were in, maybe were in Seattle when Larry was. I'm gonna, that was going to save all my Seattle-focused questions for off mic, because they're, you know, personal. Like, oh, where'd you go to school? All this stuff. <laughs> but, um... I like it, but... So which part of Seattle did you grow up in? I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> okay. No, I, it kind of makes a difference, I guess. I grew up in Wallingford. In Wallingford. Yeah. So that's... No one grows up in Wallingford anymore. Did you know that? Because no one can afford to. I did, because actually I left Seattle um, almost 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and but I go back regularly because my family's still there. They moved everything. Yeah, when when yeah, I go back, I'm like, oh my god, there's how many cranes are on the horizon? Yeah, it I know. Me right off, man. Wait, what? What's it's there? one of those towns that has changed so yeah. much, yeah. Yeah. so so much. Yeah, and I actually, I mean, I left 18 years ago, okay. and we were just back, and it's it's a all, none of my friends can afford to live in town. And B, they moved everything. I left it a certain way. I expected them to keep it that way. <laughs> when, I, when I was a kid, we would go to Seattle. That was like going to the big city, mm-hmm. for sure. And it was seemed so urban and amazing and cosmopolitan. And now it seems like it's finally what it was in my mind. Like, it has become really big. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what I like. When I first moved there in 1988, it was the big city for people from Montana. Right. Which I thought was great. Yeah, it was. I used to buy my school clothes there. Um, wow. Okay, so, yeah, because I could have, like, cool different clothes than yeah. the other kids at East Junior High School. But let's talk about your development growth. So your parents, if they're PhDs in physics, they're busy. Yeah. Well, my, I actually should say, so I will answer that question, where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. My mom actually stayed home and homeschooled us. Mm. So... I, wow, I what do, an undertaking. Yeah. yeah. I do have an alternative background. But so how do you feel that that contributes to your sense of self, that you are growing up without, for better or worse, the intrusion of tons of other people? Yeah. It's definitely a different way to grow up. It's definitely mm-hmm. an alternative way to grow mm-hmm. up. I mean, I think some of the positives were that, for me, and I think still to this day, there's really no difference between, like, school and life. There isn't, like, a, I'm in the classroom now. Okay, I'm out of the classroom now. But don't you think that's good? Or do you think that's good? I, I think it can be useful. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Do you teach? I do. Yeah. No, I, I totally think that it's useful. Like, just walking around, living your life, you yeah. can be sort of... <laughs> or I can be sort of scavenging for growing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Scavenging, growing, whatever. Sure, Looking you want for to ways it. to learn. <laughs> but Looking for what's useful. But in your classroom setting growing up, you never had to worry about bullies. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to worry about people talking too much in class. You didn't have to worry about raising your hand and having no one see you. Mm-hmm. You had the full attention of your teacher. How do you think... I can't imagine that had a negative impact. I had to have a positive impact on you. Do you think that's something that sort of gave you maybe the foundation to feel confident in pursuing your career? 
I think it definitely, it definitely gave me ideas about this is what I love doing and this is what I want to do and I'm going to find some way to build around it. And so it definitely gave me ideas around that. Um, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I don't have a lot to compare it to in some ways. Right, right. I mean, I have actually taught in the schools too. Like I, I was teaching poetry to fourth graders and oh. it was really interesting. <sighs> it was really interesting to go into that setting and to be like, I have not experienced this. That is First time so in a classroom full of fourth graders. Yeah. I do not know what this is like. And what was it like? Well, it was it was at Sloat Elementary. Uh-huh. It, it was sweet. It, I'll it was bet. Cute. Yeah. But it is so hierarchical in a classroom, right? Yes. And if you've never grown up with that, is it weird or have you seen enough movies that you know how it works? <laughs> 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 or TV. Yeah. yeah. And, and and did you risk as a teacher falling into the trap of looking at it as an anthropological project. Uh, <laughs> Look at this strange civilization I've never seen before. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, there's also the generational difference. So I, I think that as well is like, well, I'm not of the same generation. I, I'm I'm their teacher. I think what, what I remember noticing there, I mean, I didn't actually so much notice they're pretty young, like ninth yeah. and tenth yeah. graders. I didn't so much notice the hierarchy. It was more like noticing their approach to creativity, noticing that um, it seemed like they weren't yet, oh, their minds weren't yet infected with. Oh, like, that's so <laughs> cool to hear. So nine and ten year olds, they seemed like ready to go. Yeah, they seemed ready oh, to go that's creatively. Awesome. Like they weren't. Well, some of them were censoring themselves, but a lot weren't censoring themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot were kind of like going with their first instincts or just, you know, there wasn't a lot of that, oh, this is a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. Or, um, But I, I, I think some of them, I mean, I did notice some of the ESL kids were sort of struggling with some of the structures of language. And I think I just try to encourage people to, to play with language. We are playing with words. We are playing with storytelling. So I could see that that was that was harder. I mean, it could be a great thing in poetry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To have this, like this little bit of a disjunction. Yeah. No, no, yeah. That there's rules. Yeah. yeah. And, and did you, did you feel you were able to translate any of the gifts that you got from being homeschooled into a regular classroom setting as the teacher? Ooh. Do you see what I'm getting at here? That, you know, the, as a, as a kid who's homeschooled, was it just you, or were there siblings in the room as well? There were siblings. I have three siblings. Okay. So yeah. so I guess you were able to create a little bit of a classroom dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> but they're probably, you were talking about these kids who, like the ESL kids who were hesitant. Yeah. But you probably didn't feel hesitant in, in a homeschool environment. You probably were, you weren't worried someone's going, hey, that's dumb. Like, that wasn't going to happen in a homeschool environment. Have you had siblings, though? They're going to be so mean. They're both sisters, so. Were they mean to you? Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe it would be even more aggro. I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Uh, maybe it could be more aggro. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a micro-environment. Right. <laughs> and also, I was thinking yeah. when you were saying uh, the niceness of having a teacher's attention on you, that can also be a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like, your mom knows that you're copying off your neighbor's paper. Like, I copied almost... Yeah. My entire way through not graduating from high school. And I wouldn't have wanted that attention on me. So do you think it was positive or negative for you or both? I don't know. Wow. It's a, it's a real mixed bag. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a real mixed bag. You know, 
I, th- I think I think sometimes it was a real gift. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it really was like um, gave me this alternative approach to education. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And sometimes you know there there were some years that my mom was sick, mm-hmm. so wasn't really able to do that much. To be honest, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'd be teaching myself from a textbook. Yeah. Yeah. Although maybe a good life skill. Yeah. But sucky <laughs> yeah. emotionally, but yeah. <laughs> So yeah. what happens after that? So what happens after that? Yeah. Yeah. You went all the way homeschool, all the way K through 12? Um, K through 10th grade. Yeah. You went to a high school. Uh, I did. I did. I had an anchor high school that I never went to. <laughs> oh, may I ask At which high school it was? Cleveland. Oh. Do you, do you know it? I do, yeah. Wow, I'm so impressed. Yeah. yeah. We played, when I coached, we played against them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And did you like it? So I was actually in this program called Running Start, mm-hmm. which lets you get oh, yeah. free college credit yeah. through the community college. Yeah. So I was doing that, and I didn't really have to go to the high school for my classes. Oh. I just went for, like, a bus pass <laughs> and to, yeah, a bus pass and for Get my picture taken. Yeah. <laughs> and then that, that was it. That's funny because yeah. that's basically what I did in high school, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't part of any program. <laughs> 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 you created your I created my yeah. I, I self-selected. <laughs> yeah. You were, what is it, an autodidact? I was an autodidact. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And from there, so then it comes time to go to college, and I'm assuming that's when you left home. Mm-hmm. How big of a, actually, I don't want to even get, the, how, A, how big of a challenge was that? Mm-hmm. And at what point, now I feel like you're someone who comes here with a, a very clear life's work. You know, I, was, I was telling Bridget beforehand, you know, you do a lot of, of work for a lot of activism, a lot of yeah. queer activism. Yeah. Um, and I was telling Bridget before we interviewed her, it feels like a chicken and egg thing. What came first? Was mm-hmm. it, I'm a queer activist. How am I going to best use this? Mm-hmm. Or what skills do I have that I can use to further this? Or was it, you know what, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm a poet. I'm all this stuff. I'm a teacher. And I know what I'm going to talk about. So mm-hmm. kind of what came first? Ooh, what came first? That's a good question. I will jump back a little bit. Please do. And say, um, so I came out when I was 16 mm-hmm. and when I was 16 and going to Seattle Central. And I think getting that exposure to queer community and queer friends was sort of like, oh, yeah. there's this other world. Yeah. So that was probably like, <laughs> that secret room. Yeah. And that was probably... <laughs> To use my Seattle knowledge, it's probably a lot easier than it would have been coming out of Cleveland High School. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, I felt like Cleveland was pretty, pretty hetero. Yeah. yeah, it was a pretty rugged place. I think yeah. it's gotten easier everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, in a lot of places in high schools, but it's always hard. You know, it's like, I think it's easy because I taught in high school in San Francisco and people think, oh, it's so easy for kids to come out in San Francisco. It's not. It's hard for everybody. Not everybody, but for a lot of kids. How did coming out at 16 go at home? You know, I think I came out to myself first mm-hmm. and then later to my mom and my siblings and then my dad. Save dad and for last. Yeah. He don't really care, though. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, awesome. I love it. Yeah. They, they didn't really... I mean, I would say my family's pretty accepting, mm-hmm. like queerness is not an issue in fact if i look at queerness as like queerness as both 
a political orientation, as non-normativity, as being Mm -hmm. outside of the mold, and also about who you date, then... In some ways, my family was very queer. Yeah, I totally, get, I totally saw where you were going. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. So what? What came first? Were you uh, like your mom's a PhD in physics, right. and you're like a secret artist, or have you always been this artist and it was recognized, and that was your identity too? Ooh. The good questions are just going to come out. I know. I know. Good thing. Good thing. There's padding on I the wall. Yes. In case any of us have to like <laughs> our heads. Yes, we are in a padded room. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting. I think first, like, I was a major reader as a kid. Like, we went to libraries all the time. Like, I think a lot of my education was libraries. Totally the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Pretty I much definitely. everyone who's no one has ever stepped foot in this room. I was going to say everyone in that chair says that. And yeah, really? I, said, I, I was a big reader as a kid. Yeah, and no one, no one was like, I hated reading. I, hated I know reading. reading sucked, but writing I loved. Yeah, yeah they go together. Right? <laughs> they pretty much do. They, yeah, they go together. So I was very much like a, a lover of books and words, and that really was what came first. I think discovering my own artistry probably came later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discovering my own artistry. And how were your parents with that when you were like, hey, I'm an artist. I'm a writer. I'm a visual artist. I'm a performer. Were they like great or were they like... Oh. Uh, <laughs> so... Because <laughs> sometimes people can be open in one way and not yeah. another, you know? It can be yeah. scary. Yeah, no, it's, de- it's definitely true. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a lot of stability in Correct. the artist's life. There isn't like a lot of public support for the arts. I I mean, I I wish there were. I wish there were. Well, you know, my parents, my parents both grew up working class Mm -hmm. and then um, jumped class with their education. Mm -hmm. So I I did mention they were on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I think at about the time that I was born, maybe it was after my sister, my older sister was born, that they had changed class, and my dad was sort of freaking out about money, he told me. <laughs> and yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And, and then they decided to have four kids. I was going to say, like, like, four kids. <laughs> that's going to make you forget about money. Yeah. And also, I mean, my experience is if you come from the working class, you know, you're scared for your kids in a different way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see the future as like, oh, they'll be fine. Yeah. So, you know, were they nervous for you? Yeah. You know, I think... Yeah, I just remember, even even when I was little, I had sent this drawing to my grandma, and my grandma was like, oh, you're going to be an artist, and, and this is beautiful. And, and my mom was like, you'll never make any money doing that. Well, it's, it's an interesting point that we never give parents credit for, I may be speaking from experience, yeah. um, that when people in the arts like us say, well, I, you know, I got iffy support from my parents, it wasn't because your parents don't value the arts. Right. It's right. because they're worried, like, oh, That's great. Well said. How's my kid going to be able to survive? Right. Because you're scared for them. Right. 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 Not because you're mean. Right. Yeah. Right. You're not trying to belittle them. You're not knowing how to show them how worried you And are. I also think yeah. there's a there's a sense, I mean, as a parent now, I kind of see, like, my parents or any parents wanting to save you from disappointment, wanting to yeah. save you from hurt. And, I mean, yeah. as we all know, the life of a writer and an artist is rejection, a yeah. lot of rejection, and a lot, you know, much that is wonderful, but it's a hard life. 
yeah. in a certain way. No, it, it definitely is. It, yeah. it is a hard life. It's not well supported. It's, you know, it it's filled with rejection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come what join are we us. doing? <laughs> Make $10,000 a year. Come sit in a padded closet with us. Yes. <laughs> so, it's a party. <laughs> it is a party, but we're very fun. That's the upside. So we've got you. You're 16 now. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. You're at Seattle Central. You're yeah. one of those kids so in the young. giant pants I'm walking past with my head down yeah. on the way to the office of a stranger. Yeah. Um, what are you studying at this point then? Yeah. What was I studying? Um, intro to ethnic studies, astronomy, American Sign Language. Whoa, everything. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and then you finish up there and where do you go? So I, gosh, it's, it's a bit complicated. I. That's why we're here. We're okay. Here We've got an hour. <laughs> All right. It's a, I went to University of Washington and I was working full time at the same time. Oh, it's hard, yeah. Which no, I do fun. not recommend. No, not fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. Everybody else is going to parties. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't recommend it. No. It was. I mean, a, a lot due to my family background, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, and actually, ooh, I worked. I worked for the evil giant Amazon. Oh. <laughs> I hope you made some money. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Oh, good, good. <laughs> and so I worked for the evil giant, and was part of a mass layoff. Actually, I worked oh. there for three years, and when I was twenty-one, we oh, our whole department no. got laid off. They, yeah, they basically. Um, so it wasn't a good story. Where was Amazon then? It was in Seattle downtown. Oh, downtown. Yeah. So it it was like. Uh, an expensive place to be located yeah. and they relocated they relocated our departments to like West Virginia and North Dakota oh and gosh. India yeah so th- so that they could North Dakota yeah. growing pains yeah yeah so then you have no job and you are you still at UW or are you yeah like, it's just taking a long time because you're working full-time yeah yeah so I actually with my unemployment I ended up Moving to Olympia, Washington, I'd always wanted to. Yeah, I'd always wanted. I'd always wanted to live there. I'd been mm-hmm. going down there for Lady Fest for Yo Yo Go Go. Yeah, to just kind of see like the drag shows and the secret cafes. And then I was like, "All right, now's my time. I totally. played off. It's time to go down here." So, wh- and and where are you in your development as an artist and an activist at this point? Are you sort of skirting, or are you growing, or are you thinking about it? Was the move part of that, a commitment? Yeah, the move was part of it, yeah. So I enrolled at Evergreen State College. That's and my wife's alma mater. Yay. I, it's just I, making me smile. The story is making me smile. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> and, and I feel like Evergreen is actually where I got my start as an artist. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So where was where was the scene when you arrived, when you were going to Evergreen? Yeah, so I arrived there. It was the early two thousands. Oh, and yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was actually a little bit yeah. after Riot Girl. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I was like trying to chase the Riot Girl train, and the train had left the I station. The train was there, like having babies. The there. No, <laughs> I know I was, I was late. Yes, <laughs> but um, but it leaves the it leaves the vibe right. Yeah, like that. There's cool things happening, and people are coming there to make cool things happen. That's what happened in San Francisco. Yeah, I yeah. think there was always that vibe in the. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I feel like I'm so inspired by all of the zinesters and discovering discovering people's words in the basement of the Olympia Zine Library and and writing to people and just, like, 
yeah, I, I just felt like very alive with, with that culture. And, and I mean, the great thing about that whole scene was that it was everything, right? It was, we were talking about you being a hyphenate, but that was, that was the whole thing is that you played in a band and you did a zine and you maybe well, did spoken word. And, yeah. and did you also find just simple economics made it easier to be an artist there? Mm, I think, yes. <laughs> Yeah. And just scale. You know, I've always wondered about the possibilities of trying new things in a place where 10,000 people haven't done it first. Yeah. You know, going to a place that's a little smaller where you can make an impact. I do think the Pacific Northwest, though, especially by the early 2000s, it is a hard place to make a living. Um, because new money keeps coming in and it's a place where people want to live. Yeah. But man, that's when I lived in Portland was the hardest economic time I had. Oh, yeah. And I kind of made all my money freelancing for East Coast places because it was really hard to get by economically. Yeah. So yeah, how did you find how did you find that going from Seattle working for Amazon to yeah. Evergreen? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was fortunately getting unemployment. Oh, yeah, you said and, that. That's good, yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and living in a less expensive city. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of a, but still the same state, so I could still get it. But working less, so maybe more time to write. And yeah, yeah, more, more time to write, more time to experiment, more time to, I was in this international feminism class that was very interdisciplinary. It was both about, like, feminist theory and globalization and learning video production and creative writing, so cool. and, uh, art installations. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I never had anything like that in college. No, me neither. Nothing, that's, nothing. That's your project-based learning, right there. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish I'd gone there earlier. I like, totally. Damn. totally. <laughs> what was, can you back up a second? I want to know sort of what the decision was like, because it seems like a very pointed and conscious decision to get off of this train. And to get on to do something else. Was that a hard decision to come to? Or were you, do you feel like you were already moving in that direction when you were at Amazon and going to UW? You were already thinking, boy, you know, it would be great to get off of this train and do something really more creative. Or was it a, was it a deal where you got laid off? You went, oh, great, what now? Well, maybe now I'll do this thing. You know, how, I guess how calculated was the decision? Well, I think... You know, I had, I had actually been, so I didn't have a fancy job there. I was in customer service. Sure, but it was a job. <laughs> yeah, no. You were working your way through school. Yeah, yeah. I started in the warehouse and was there a couple years and then did customer service. Oh, it sounds so hard. Yeah. Was it so <laughs> gnarly? It, you know, I, I think I switched to the graveyard shift and then that was like a little less volume of That's calls. Great. Yeah. But it was something that I had been thinking about. I had been thinking about leaving my job, actually, before. I'd been thinking about, all right, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then, gosh, I, I feel a little bit like a jerk because I was actually happy to get laid off. And, totally. But all I, these I other people were sad. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's some sad people for sure. But especially at that age, man, I was always praying. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I was actually like, all right, give me my unemployment. I, you know, oh, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something else. I'm, I knew I was ready for a change. I knew I was ready for... And how conscious were you of what you wanted that change to be? You know, I had actually been wanting to move to Olympia for school earlier. Mm-hmm. And I 
And I didn't. I stayed in Seattle. So it, it sort of seemed like the logical next step. Like, oh, yeah, I have this. I have unemployment. I can move down the... Oh, and I think a friend had an opening in a house. So it was sort of like it all aligned. I was like, yeah, I can, ju- I can just move down there. I'll get my unemployment. It'll, it'll be good. <laughs> had you been living on your own before that? No. So you were moving out of the house. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. Ooh, that's a big so year for was you. it yeah. at Olympia or is that a little bit later when you start uh, Queer Rebels? So it was a little bit later. It was uh, Queer Rebels started in late 2008. Yeah. And is that in, did you start in the Bay Area? Did yeah. you start there? All right. Yeah, well, tell, us, tell us how you get there and how. Get to the Bay Area. Yeah. Okay. I want to yeah. yeah. talk about Queer All Rebels. All right. Yeah. Okay. The Bay Area. Got yeah. Take, take a drink. Yeah. Take a drink. Larry will fill the silence with something <laughs> insightful and uh, I will amazing. say, have you read Carrie Brownstein's autobiography, memoir? Because it's kind of similar only 10 years earlier. Oh, okay. She was like the Bellevue kid who wanted to move to Olympia. There's a bunch of these super cool memoirs, by the way. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Oh, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. It's good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. I'm telling, I'm telling the, okay, yeah, the sure. listening audience. Listening audience. Yeah. <laughs> Grotto Pod recommendation. Mm-hmm, right there. <laughs> we're back. Now yeah. we're going to get to the Bay Area. First, let's finish up at Evergreen. How many years were you there? So I was actually there for my last year. That's okay. why I'm like, oh, damn it, why didn't I go earlier? Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, well. I, th- I think it very much influenced me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Could definitely love the project-based learning and the interdisciplinary nature. Now that you're saying this, I think my daughter is looking at colleges right now. I'm going to yeah. tell her to look at Evergreen. Yeah. Did you stick around at Olympia after you graduated? Um, a little bit. I think like six months or something. And then I moved all the way to Portland. Oh, she's working her way <laughs> down mass, the coast. It's a mass move. <laughs> Such a culture shock it must have been. Yeah. And then I stayed there for a year or two. But really, I knew I wanted to be in a bigger city. And for me, it was either San Francisco or New York. As it always is. Yeah. And why'd you choose San Francisco? Closer. Yeah, closer. Your family, maybe. Yeah, closer. And I've been a West Coast kid my whole Mm -hmm. life. Same. But I, I, oh my goodness. I I guess I have a bi-coastal heart. Like, I definitely love New York. And every time I'm there, I'm like, Well, you must have a lot of, I mean, your whole mom's family's there, right? So... So uh, did you grow up visiting and hanging out? No. No. (laughs) But but I feel like for a lot of people, and maybe not exclusively to creatives, but there is a sense that, like, at some point you're going to have to go there. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll only reach a certain level. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you'll only test yourself so much. She went. I didn't. But I don't think it's true. I don't think it is either. Oh, yeah, okay. But I think there's a sense, like, well, you know, eventually I'm going to go to New York. I will say what New York gave me, having been there as a young woman, is just realizing, why not me? Yeah. Like, Mm. like, oh, I'm meeting all these people who are doing things that people were doing at UC Santa Barbara when I was there. But they happen to be in the East Village, so they're getting written up wherever. But they're no better, and they're they're no cooler, and they're no smarter, and they're no—like, it might as well just be me then. It just gave me a feeling of, like— and I can do this. But Celeste didn't go to New York. No, she came, she came right to San Francisco. To San Francisco. What year did you get here? I love that. Why not me? Yeah. So why not me? Yeah. That is yeah. a great <laughs> I, I came here in 2004, so I've been here. Oh, 14 years, 15 years. 15 years. Whoa. Welcome. A lot has happened in 15 years yeah. Yeah. in this area, for and sure. what were your intentions when you got here? Did you have intentions? 
So I knew I wanted to be around artists and activists and queer people and people of color. I wanted to be somewhere where there were three things happening every night that I wanted to go to. I I wanted like that kind of aliveness. And (laughs) And do you go to things all the time? I I still do. I've I've maybe slowed down a little. I feel like overwhelmed by that. (laughs) Like I love it, but I've gotten to an age where I feel overwhelmed by it. Like there's so much cool stuff happening all the time. (laughs) But it's only within the last couple of years that I haven't checked every week to see what bands are playing, even though I stopped going years and years ago. Oh, really? Kind of. But when you got here, um, what were you hoping to do? It sounds like you came here because it was an atmosphere you wanted to be Mm -hmm. in. Did you have a type of work you wanted to do? Were you... How, how fully formed was your mission, I guess, is the question I'm asking. Oh. Because I feel like you do have a mission. I, I do. I do have a mission. I want to hear the myth, the corporate <laughs> mission, mission statement. statement. Oh, my goodness. My personal mission statement. That's a job interview. Oh, yeah. It is a job interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, I, I was younger back then. And younger. I, yeah. And I, I think I basically... It was more like I had the sense that I needed this community. Mm-hmm. I needed to go to San Francisco and find community and be, like, activated by it. I needed to come here and grow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I was either here in New York. New York seemed more hardcore. Mm-hmm. And expensive. Yeah. I guess San Francisco's expensive, too, but it yeah. seems more expensive. Yeah. Things came open for me here earlier. Like, a room came open yeah. in, in this queer Asian-American house, and, like, that's everyone awesome. there was an activist. So I was like, oh, I think that's a sign. Was that fun? Because like, I think of, and I could be totally wrong, but I think of Olympia as really white. Yeah, So was it, it fun to come it and be is. like, not only is it an Asian house, it's a queer Asian house. Like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think Did I, it freak out when you lit Shabbat candles every Friday night? Oh, <laughs> you know, I didn't. It's funny. I didn't grow up with like the religion, mm. Judaism. Mm-hmm. I grew up with like more like the cultural aspects of, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, yeah. I do know yeah. a writer in New York um, who is part of a whole group of uh Asian Jewish writers. Wait, really? Yeah, tell me afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to know. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. They seem super <laughs> okay. cool. I feel like we need to. They have going on. We, we've gotten like three quarters of the way through here, and I really oh, want to talk about the, the actual work you yeah. do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you got here, were you had you chosen? I mean, I I don't know that you've actually had to choose a discipline. Because you pursue them all, but do you, is there any that you've per- decided early to pursue above others? Hmm. What came first? I think kind of the twin passions of writing and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I, I would say maybe I've pursued writing the longest mm-hmm. and portable, easy to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no equipment needed. <laughs> and when you got here, what kind of writing were you doing, and where was it showing up? Where is it showing? I wasn't publishing a lot. I was, gosh, I was a baby writer. A baby writer. Yeah, I I was. I was very, you know, I was very, gosh, if if I were to, like, point to a self, like, 15 years ago, I was very shy. Like, I was was very shy. I was very quiet. I think it took, like, moving to the Bay Area to, like, help me get out and going to Evergreen to help me get out of my shell a bit. But, yeah, so I wasn't really, like, publishing or sharing it out that much but i was taking workshops and i remember taking one with um gosh i was a queer youth when i was taking with mayana minhall at the lgbt center and it's interesting because last year i taught there isn't uh, that amazing yeah. an amazing feeling yeah it was like oh wait a minute did you tell the kids that 
that you had also been there <laughs> as a student? Because I think that's really, I, I think it's really great for them to see, like, that I can, I can be that person. Yeah. You know? It's exciting. Yeah. No. You know, it, it's interesting because it, it took it took a minute for, for it to dawn on me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's why this feels familiar. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe you can tell us, like, you know, how did you start Queer Rebels? What is it? What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean as a, as a thing that you're doing? Which I don't want to say institution. It kind okay. of is. It's long. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... I will say, I actually left Queer Rebels last year. Mm-hmm. Stepped I down saw in that. January. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. After like a 10-year tenure. Which and is long. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It, it is a long time to be doing a project and yeah. working on this. Well, Queer Rebels is and was a production company um, featuring an annual festival and touring experimental film programs and... It was a festival of queer and trans artists of color, and I co-founded it with my partner at the time, KB Boyce, mm-hmm. and I think we were really looking around the Bay Area and thinking about, you know, there there are there are artists of color here, but but could there be a bigger platform mm-hmm. for them? And is it all films? No, it's not yeah, all I didn't, think, I didn't yeah. think so, yeah. It's it's performance, performance, poetry, films, dance. Yeah, pretty interdisciplinary. That's a lot of organizational I was gonna say, stuff. It's, it's, that's a job, job. Yeah, like yeah. a serious job. Yeah. And is it a lot of fundraising, too? Yeah. Yeah, that's hard, man, for 10 years. So Ooh. when you started, did you plan on sticking with it for 10 years? You know... It's interesting. When when we started with our first show, which was Queer Rebels of the Harlem Renaissance, we thought it was actually going to be a one-time event. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we thought it was going to be a one-time thing. and um, But there was such, like, there was such community support for the event. Mm-hmm. Um, like hunger. Yeah, right? yeah. Definitely. Like, like such a hunger for it that we were like, okay, we're going to do this again. And so we worked with Queer Cultural Center as a fiscal sponsor. And so they helped us with learning how to fundraise. So much work. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because I – so I was working a full-time job during many of the years of Mm -hmm. this. And I was a social worker for a long time in the Bay Area, uh, worked in anti-violence. And then actually a couple years into – a few years into Queer Rebels – I transitioned into being a grant writer, mm. which it was sort of double duty. It was sort of like, oh, well, I, yeah. I am already writing grants for this organization. Right. And I want to learn more. But man, that's a great skill. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> but when did you have time to create? I did not have much time good to create. Question. Yeah. I, it sounds like you're pretty busy. I, yeah. Somebody else I know. I, I honestly <laughs> did not have that much time to create. Yeah. I, th- I think it was sort of a. Like, I was doing this thing. We were sort of on the trajectory of, like, oh, this could become a nonprofit. We're fiscally sponsored now. This could become a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. It could become an institution. Mm -hmm. And I think along the way, I was trying to, like, carve out time for myself to create. But I think it's it's really hard. I don't know. It's interesting to, like, be a creative person and to have to, like, think like an entrepreneur and to be an organizer and then be like, oh, yeah, and I got to save some of my brain for myself, for my own creative output. Really hard. 
Yeah, it it really is. It's such a juggling act. Like, yeah. I, I can't say that I have it down because actually for many years I did not create very much because I was working so much on this Same. project. Well, is that one reason why you left after 10 years or was it just time to move on? Um, a combination of things. I will say... In 2014, I went to the Lambda Literary Retreat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's Noted so good. Yep. Yeah. And that was like such a game changer. Like, it. Just I've going heard that there. from so many people that yeah. they go, whether it's that and other places you've yeah. been, Hebdige, Bona, like, yeah. those can have just a really dramatic, I don't know, like, light a fire, right? And totally. And when you I applied, did you think that this could be a game changer or was it a deal where, like, I, I like to go on a retreat once a year? Let's try this one. Um, I thought it might be, I thought, I thought it might be, I mean, it, it sounded amazing. I was like, what? And when I got there, I was like, whoa, it's this temporary village of like 50 queer and trans writers and all, and all of these amazing teachers and just like, and there was such intimacy. Like we were on this mountain and it didn't even seem like we were in LA. We were in some like small university and it didn't even look like we we're in a city and it just like was really i think beautiful to have like that space awesome. so what did you come out of that with what was the game changer i think i knew i needed to do more for my own writing mm-hmm. i knew i needed to take it more seriously and so i think along the way i was trying to figure out how do i do that and do this and hold this organization and be doing this organizing, which I also love because it's interesting. I feel, I feel like creating these spaces is so much about trying to build platforms that don't already exist that, you know, like we're trying to build these platforms because there's a need, because there's not enough attention given to queer and trans writers of color. Because, I mean, this, this was pre-Janet Mock, pre, mm-hmm. you know, pre-Laverne Cox on the cover of different magazines. Right. It wasn't like oh, there was God. a lot Ten of... Ten years yeah. like a hundred years in terms of the difference of just visibility, discussion, public discourse. A ton has happened in 10 years. Yeah. But we had talked earlier about you having a mission, an yeah. mission statement, which we haven't gotten You're to so yet. Good. <laughs> I try. So when you decided at, this, at the Lambda Retreat, well, I need to just write more, yeah. do you worry that that's not the most effective way to achieve your mission? I guess, how do you balance those two things? If you sit there and go, you know, I'm a writer. What, what if you were at that mission? I'm a writer and I need to write about pets. Shoot, that's not part of my mission. What do I do now? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. I might be a little circular answering your question. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think that for me, writing and then organizing and creating these spaces are very much connected. Um, it's, it's about amplifying marginalized and unheard voices. It's about like carving out more space. And it's also about carving out space for my own voice within that. Mm-hmm. And to, to, rec- to recognize, I think, the self within community as well. And I think, you know, for me, those things are actually connected. And I think I did step down from Queer Rebels last year. It, it was kind of my time to move mm-hmm. on. I now work and make my living as a teaching artist working with Queer Ancestors Project. I want to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm teaching creative writing to queer and trans youth. And it's very much, it, it does feel linked. Like my own, pro- my own process, learning, teaching, and working to try to break open more paths for writers who are young, who are emerging, who are marginalized and not getting heard enough. There's certainly a consistent thread, yeah. 
So tell me about Queer Ancestors Project because it's really exciting. It's been happening in the Bay Area for two years. How long? Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, Queer Ancestors Project. It was... um, created by Katie Gull Martin, who's an artist, Mm -hmm. and she directs it. She started it in 2010. Oh, it's been going on that long? Yeah, it's been been going on that long. So she started in 2010 and offered, she still offers free printmaking workshops for queer and trans youth. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful project. I, for many years, was actually a guest presenter and Mm -hmm. I'd come in and talk to the youth about Queer Rebels and show some of our films and talk about the work that we did. And so I had done that for several years. And actually, a couple years ago, I approached Katie with the idea of starting the writing workshops because I saw funding opportunity with Writers' Corps Mm -hmm. and was really interested. I knew that Queer Ancestors would be a fabulous, a fabulous organization to work with. There's such like a tight youth community that that is involved with that project. And Katie was excited about it. She said, yes, we worked on the grant. And you knew how to do that. See, that's the key piece. It's not like just having an idea, but right. you can like say, here's how we do it. <laughs> I, I feel like you have this drive to not give yourself any time to write. Oh, no. Whoa. Keep finding other things to do. Hair doctor, oh, Rosen. Well, I think, I mean, you know, I, I, I do actually appreciate that because it, it is true. I am, I am such a like, all right, I have so many projects. I'm trying to juggle this and writing. Mm-hmm. And writing, and, and how do and how do I balance? Mm-hmm. How do how do I balance these things? That is a really good question. It's hard. It's hard. But but I have to say with Larry, I don't know what your motivation is, <laughs> unconscious or conscious. But uh, if you don't find a place to carve out really for your own work, that well will will probably run dry for other people. I say that as a mother, as a teacher, right? Like you have to, I, I, okay, let me stop saying you. I have to refill that well or I don't have anything to give other people. All right. Or I'm bringing it from a place that's kind of like dry and crabby and what did you call me earlier? Crispy. 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 I was a little crispy. I've been awake since 3.30. Oh, damn. I know. Hormones. As my grandmother used to say, don't get old, you won't like it. But (laughs) the alternatives are also bad. Anyway, um, I don't know, just as like, (laughs) as an older writer, you know, like older woman writer saying to you, like, it's really important to look at your own work, what you create for for yourself and your world, your voice in the mix of voices that you tend to that is a gift to everyone. It really is, I think. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I really hear that. And and I appreciate that. For a moment, I was going to be like, oh, you were... Fuck up- you, bitch. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> Wait, are we allowed to curse here? I thought you were going to be like, I was up since 3.30 being inspired. Or, oh, no, you know, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, who knows no. when inspiration strikes? No, Hormones, you know. dude. Okay. Uh, what do you do at 3.30 in the morning? I just start up? writing because if yeah. I'm going to be awake... So, why not I, take advantage of it? Yeah, so I'm I'm on the personal mission right now of... It's called hashtag a thousand words of winter. I like um, that. Yeah, it's a yeah. little Twitter action. And um, yeah, join us. Down. 
and I write a thousand words a day. And what's crazy is it has coincided with this terrible menopausal um, hormone, sorry, Larry, uh, thing. And I just wake up super early, but I just decided I'm just going to start working. And the cool thing is I am not thinking yet. I'm not fully awake. (coughs) It happens really fast. (coughs) Sorry. Um, We're almost out of time, but I want to... Give a, give a nod to your, the stuff, the filmmaking you're doing as well. Do you have any projects in the works right now? Yeah, I am. I am working on a documentary called "Artists of a Riot," and it's looking at it, it's looking at how artists came into their work through Riot Girl and Queer Core, and especially God, those who. So awesome! Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm really excited about interviewing these art I've done a number of interviews already and just it's, it's so inspiring to see how people how people became working artists or like what kind of gave them the drive and motivation to like keep going so are you producing this yeah, so I am filming Raising it money and, and filming. And yeah, and doing the interviews too. Doing interviews. I yeah. mean, first of all, this is like exactly the kind of thing I love. Like I will sign up, whatever, to support in any way. Yay. Sounds so good. It's also Yay. a monumental project. <laughs> yeah. Another one. I, I know. I, I can't. I can't stop taking but on these huge projects. But that's your project. Yeah. That's not the same. I don't think. No. Because no. that's your your passion yeah. project, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, sounds so good. And are you putting? Do you have a crew you put together? Or are you going it alone? <laughs> right now, well, right now I'm going it alone and working on it. Since I am juggling a bunch of things, I'm working on it in spurts. Mm, so okay. yeah, so I'll, I'll usually time the interviews so it's like, oh, I'm already in New York for a conference that I have to go to, and I'm going to interview X, Y, and Z people. Oh, that's okay. so smart. Yeah, that is. Yeah, or I'm visiting my family. I'm going to interview these people. They're there. Or I'm going to AWP. I'm going to interview in the in the three days beforehand. <laughs> so smart. Yeah, I have this LA artist. If you ha- don't know okay. her, I have to turn you on to. Oh, after, yeah. after, okay. yeah. And speaking of after, we're just about out of time. No, what do you want? Is there something you want to say? We haven't asked. What do we about? ask you about? Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm definitely. I'm, notes. I do. I have notes. I'm definitely thinking about what you said about about writing, and I think especially as women artists too. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, I'm mean, easy to it. Wait, not sorry. And so I think especially as women writers, it's like, oh yeah, putting putting the self first, putting that creative work first is so important. And so I'm definitely, I have actually been for the past couple of years looking at like, what am I I think measuring like what I do for other people and what I do in teaching and then the amount that I put into my own work yeah. and trying to, I think, yeah, cause I, I don't, I mean, I think maybe also regardless of gender, some of us are yeah, very much exclusive to women. Well, some of us are very much oriented towards like, I need to give and do this and you know, totally. it's, it's it, giving it, for other people. It, it is definitely a temperament, I think. Yeah. Also, and also just in our lives right now, Everyone has that drive. Like from a lot of men, it's the drive that they have to support the whole family, like in a really traditional concept, right? Yeah. And for a lot of caretakers, parents, you feel like you have to put your kids first, first don't yeah. you? I mean, or have you? No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I think you do. And it's even though you put your kid first a lot, not you personally, people, you still have to put yourself there too, yeah. or they leave. 
and they don't care. And it's just, it's, yeah. <laughs> Which is good, thank God. Then they come back, but, and they buy and giant then, TVs, and put them in the middle of the living room. Wait, no, he bought the TV? No. Oh, okay, that was like confusing. He picked it out. Um, big, yeah. I mean, I think that's just, it's just one of the many challenges, and it all sort of, we've all, we've kind of created a picture, and at the center of that is finding time to do this, or correct. Yeah. to do it. Totally yeah. correct. Um, but like I said, we're out of time. No. Sorry, everyone. I know. It was so fun. Celeste, you do so many things. You have so many hyphens. Tell us where we can find you online. Yeah. So my website is celestchan.com. And yeah, send me a line. Drop her a line. Oh, you got so the, nice. Uh, yeah. How about the social media? Can we find you there? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm on Facebook under Celeste Chan. I'm on Twitter, but I'm... You're not the only Celeste Chan, are you? I'm a very sporadic Celeste oh, Chan on Twitter. Okay. Celeste Chan 2020. 2020. Yeah. Why 2020? Um, it was a perfect vision thing yeah, since, you know, I wear glasses. Oh, 2020. It was like the Speaking year 2020. Which, I thought maybe something exciting was happening. I'm sorry to say that. Yeah, I'm running for president. <laughs> I didn't tell you all. <laughs> she announced it here. We got a scoop. Finally. I'm sorry. I'm voting for Kim Kardashian. Oh, all right. I'm sorry oh, to say that I have the third most cool glasses in the grotto pod right now. <laughs> but you have the second coolest glasses. I know. I know. Right. has the coolest glasses perhaps ever bought, brought into. I know. They're pretty awesome. I have to say. Uh, the grotto pod BQ. What if someone wanted to find you? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, they could find me at Bequintrest on Twitter and Instagram. I would like people to follow me on Twitter. So, you know, hit me up. I follow you back. And also at Bridget Quinn Artist. No. No, BridgetQuinnAuthor.com. <laughs> and there is a Bridget Freudian Quinn artist. Slip. I know it is a Freudian slip. Um, but if you hang, if you hit up Bridget Quinn artist, she's very awesome and lives in Detroit. So hey. she's worth following too. As for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Larry Rosen, or you can uh, go check out my other podcast at isitgoodforthejews.com. We just recorded our 200th episode. That's so amazing. Congratulations. Whoa. 200 episodes of guys arguing about stuff. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, Have you the, found any solutions to anything? Oh, yeah. We've oh, solved excellent. everything. Okay. As for the Grotto Pod itself, yes. uh, you can email us at thegrottopod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at grottopod and Instagram at Grotto Pod. You can uh, you can uh, go to the iTunes and uh, subscribe. Rate. Rate. Five stars, please. Maybe yeah. six. If you can find a way to do it, go ahead. Add an extra star. <laughs> uh, who produced this thing? I'm glad you asked. Lorianne Doyle, Beth Weingarner, and Lee Kravitz. Thank you to them. Thank you to them. Thank you to the San Francisco Public Library and... Babylon Salon. Next, uh, Babylon Salon, March 2nd, I believe. You could go on their website, uh, babylonsalon.com and find out. I had to look that up. Can you believe that? Celeste is taking more notes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. That's it for us, right? That's it. We yes, have nothing, that's it. I, I no, have, I have nothing one more thing I want to say. Oh, I'm, one more thing. I'm shaking my finger at Celeste. <laughs> Read, write, and just keep working. She's got the third part.